Would you take your Bibles and turn them to Matthew chapter 1. We are starting in verse 18 together this morning. And if you didn't bring a Bible, we always have some available on the seat in front of you there. You can find one of the black Bibles and you can find Matthew 1 on page 675. Uh, Jessica is going to read us this story this morning, so we'll give you just a second here. This is the word of the Lord. This is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son. And he gave him the name Jesus. Amen. How many uh, Chicago Cubs fans we got in the room here? Don't be ashamed. That's all right. Good. I promise, no jokes. They're doing some awesome stuff right now, aren't they? Uh, 2016, that's my prediction. But I digress. How many of you are familiar, Cubs fans are familiar with the name Moises Alou? Moises Alou was made famous, of course, because of the incident with uh, Steve Bartman. But well before that incident, uh, I got to play baseball with Moises Alou. I had no idea who he was, actually. I was on a Little League team, and our coach was friends uh, with Moises Alou. And one day, this guy shows up, this stranger shows up, and he wants to come and play baseball uh, with our Little League team. And of course, you know, we were taught not to interact with strangers, but I felt bad for this poor guy who was kind of left out. So I was like, hey, I'll play with you. And so we played a game. If you grew up playing baseball, you probably know the game Pepper. It's where you just sort of hit the ball back and forth, and you play catch. So I'm playing catch. I'm playing Pepper with Moises Alou, though I have no clue who this guy actually is. Until afterwards, my coach kind of took the whole team aside. I mean, he ended up playing with us, throwing us batting practice, all this stuff. He pulled us aside. He said, you guys realize that's a major league baseball player. His name is Moises Alou. And, of course, I was interested after that in following his career uh, throughout the years. But I couldn't get over the fact. It was just amazing to me that a professional major league baseball player would stoop down to our level and join us for a little league baseball practice. Now, as amazing as that is, it's nothing compared to that story we just read, amen? For many of us, this passage, though, has become like just a part of our our, our yearly routine. We have become so familiar with the words that Jessica read there. I mean, I think about my own life. I grew up in the church. I'm a pastor's kid, so man, I've heard this passage hundreds of times. I've been a pastor now for 12 years. I've preached this passage 
at least three times. I look back this week. So, I mean, I know this. I am familiar with it. And the danger with all of that is that it it can start to become just sort of this sentimental story in my life if I'm not careful. But I want to say is I don't want us to fall asleep this year when it comes to the story of Christmas because we have to once again recall just how radical and revolutionary this really is. In fact, as we have been saying, if you're following on your notes, if you like to use notes, they're optional. You don't have to if you'd rather listen. There is a king who changes everything. That's really what we've been saying in this series. Christmas is nothing less than that. Don't make it less than that. It's, it changes everything. Everything we know as human beings has been flipped upside down because of this Christmas story. As much as our culture has tried to turn Christmas into this sentimental thing, oh, a baby in a manger, the radicalness, the revolutionariness of this story can't be lost. Just like Moises Alou stooped down and practiced with a bunch of nine-year-olds, the God of the universe we just read stooped down into history and literally changed everything. So we've been preparing ourselves as a church for Christmas this year, and we've been looking at this idea that there's a king. There is a king, and he changes everything. And if you were here last week, you know that the story of this king begins with very humble beginnings. We had the chance to look at Matthew 1, 1 through 17, which lays forth Jesus' genealogy. And typically with a king we discovered you would want to set forth the best possible genealogy. But what did we learn about this king? In his lineage, in his line, our outcasts are those who society would normally disregard. And uh, that's good news for us. That we can become a part of this kingdom even as outcasts and outsiders and the humble of heart are who really can enter into this kingdom. So Matthew has set the stage that this is going to be a different kind of king. And in the story we had read for us this morning, he continues to reveal things about this king. And this morning, I want to focus on three things Matthew reveals about this king. He reveals who this king is. He reveals why he actually came. And he reveals how we should respond to him this year and honestly every year, every day of our lives. So that's where we're headed in this passage this morning. Before we do, I know we've prayed several times already this morning, but let's simply turn ourselves once again to God because unless he chooses to speak through his word this morning, we're going to waste a bunch of time. So let's turn to him. Father, I can speak words, but only you can speak into the heart. So take these words and penetrate them into my heart and the heart of each of every one of these people who are open to receiving them this morning. Let us be people who are hungry and who are humble for your word. We give this time to you to change us, to mold us, to shape us, to transform us, and to remind us of the wonder of Christmas. In Jesus' great name, everyone agreed and said, Amen. So let's talk first about who is this king? Who is this king? To answer the question, Matthew, if you still have your Bible open, goes back hundreds of years, hundreds of years to a prophetic utterance by the prophet Isaiah. You see in verse 22, he quotes, he says here, all this took place. Why did this king come? Who is he? All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. What prophet? Isaiah. The prophet Isaiah, and Matthew then goes on to quote Isaiah from Isaiah 7, 14, which I printed on your notes there. Let's read what he quotes. It says, 
The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel. So let's just pause right here. Who is this king? He is Emmanuel. Now that's not his name. I know we have at least one Emmanuel in our church body. That's not his actual name. It's a title for this king. It's a description of who he is. And I'm going to spend a whole lot of time on this one word. You might be wondering, why would we spend so much time on just one word? Well, i got to tell you, there are people who have spent their whole lives studying this one word, and they haven't even gotten to the depths of its meaning. So we're going to look at this one word, Emmanuel. If you have your Bible still open there, Matthew, thankfully, actually defines this word for us, right? In verse 23, how does he define it? Emmanuel means God with us. So if you're following on your notes, this king is Emmanuel, which means God with us. Here's what I want to do with you this morning. That's, again, familiar. I know that. Let's think about those three words. God with us. So first, so first, he is God with us. He is God with us. Much like our baseball team with Moises Alou, when people approach the Christmas season, many people have no idea who Jesus really is or who he really claims to be because if they did, it would change everything. It would change everything about this holiday. It would create a crisis in our lives. So many people today view Jesus as simply a moral man who walked the earth, a great teacher. Perhaps he was a prophet. And while he was all those things, we've been learning, he's much more than that, isn't he? In fact, we're told right here, who is he? He's God. He's God. Every other religion right here differs from Christianity. Every other religion says, oh, here's how you get to God. So God has sent me as a prophet or as a sage to tell you how you can reach God. Christianity says, no, God came to reach us to tell him, to tell us how we could come to him. That's how Christianity differs from every other religion. Our king came to us in the flesh. If you're following on your notes, the claim of Christmas is nothing less than Jesus is God with us. If you have read through the New Testament, you are confronted with this claim over and over again. There's just no way to talk about Jesus and not come up face to face against the claim he made. I know a lot of people today, they want to write about the great teacher that Jesus was, the great example that Jesus was. No, he wasn't, unless he was actually God, because otherwise he's either a liar or a lunatic because of the claims he's making. People say, well, where in the Bible does Jesus actually claim he's God? Well, we got one right here, Emmanuel. God with us. John begins his whole gospel with these famous, familiar words. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was God. Here's another one, Acts 20. This isn't as familiar. Paul is praying for the elders of Antioch. He says, be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. Who bought the church? God. How? With the blood of Christ. Jesus is God. Besides some of these examples, I could point to other examples. There are other ways throughout the Gospels especially that people are constantly confronted with this idea that Jesus is God. One example is this crazy idea Jesus has that he can forgive people's sins. You remember when the paralytic man, his friends bring the paralytic man to him and he says, your sins are forgiven. Man, everybody in that room knew exactly what it was Jesus was claiming at that moment. Who has the authority to forgive sin but God alone? And yet, he did. 
Or perhaps this, I was just reading in Daniel 10 this morning. I love this. You see this throughout the Bible. Whenever an angel comes and visits a human being, what is the natural response of the human being? They hit the deck in fear, right? And they begin to worship that angel. I mean, this creature that is so other than us, but what does the angel immediately tell them? Get up. Get up off your knees. Do not worship me. I am a created being just as you are. Now, I'm a little bit cooler than you are. (laughs) But I'm a created being just like you are. But listen, when Mary or Thomas fall down on their knees and begin to worship Jesus after his resurrection, what does he do? Does he tell them to get up? He receives it. He accepts it. What's he saying? I'm not a created being. I am. I am who I am. And I will always be. I think C.S. Lewis nailed it when he said, you have to come to one of three conclusions about Jesus. Jesus was either a liar or a lunatic or he was Lord. He really was God. There's no other option. There's no other option. I mean, we love to think of this idea. He was a great prophet. He's got some great teaching. He can't be because of the things he was claiming. He was either crazy or he was lying through his teeth or he is who he said he is. That's why people all throughout the Gospels are walking around going, who is this guy? Who is this man? They know no just regular man could make the claim that he is making and either not be crazy, either not be a liar, or not actually be who he says he is. We know this also because you never see someone, when they actually are confronted with the person of Jesus on earth, they don't just walk there and go, "Mm, that was something that gave me something to think about. That was a great lecture. That was some great teaching. No, no. They're always confronted with a crisis in their life. (laughs) Who is this? He's asking everything from me. He speaks as one with authority like I haven't heard before. Every encounter with Christ creates a crisis because it demands a decision. And you know what some people decided? Some people decided he was evil. He came, he was a son of the devil, they said. Some people decided he was a liar. But some people believed. Some people believed that his claim to be God was actually true. This is why I think today, I, I just, when I hear statistics about our country and their faith in God, I just kind of go, I, I just can't see that. You know, so many people say, I believe in Jesus. You, you can't believe in Jesus and it not change your life. Believing in Jesus as God will create a crisis and it will create a life change. It will create a life change. He will become king of your life. He will sit on the throne that you used to sit on. If you're following, I'll put it this way, a person must either reject Jesus or accept him as God. There's no other choice. There's no middle ground when it comes to Jesus. If you don't fully accept him as God, then you're rejecting him. It's like a judge. They can't sit there and go, "Uh, I'm not sure if you're guilty or not guilty, so I'll just wait and decide later. No, you have to decide, guilty or not guilty. I accept his claim or I don't accept his claim. And as we see in the Gospels, many people actually accept his claim and believe. Now, we're used to that. But think about how radical that would have been. 
a human being claiming to be God, and of all the people on earth, of all the people on earth, the very last people who would accept that claim would have been first century Jews. First century Jews would have said this, no way, right? And you can see some of the anger and animosity that some of the Jewish people have towards Jesus. You see, unlike the pantheists of this day who believe that God is a force in everything, and we hear this teaching throughout our culture today, or the Romans who were polytheists, they believe that the gods could come and dress up as human beings, right? You see this take place with Paul and Barnabas when they begin to worship them. They think they're the gods come down from heaven. Unlike both of those, the Jews believed in the God of the Bible. And the God of the Bible is a holy other God. He is transcendent is the big word for it. It means, it means he's the create, creator, not a created being. He sits apart from everything else in creation. They believed then that this God of the Bible could never become create, creation. Does that make sense? It couldn't become a creation, and yet that's what Jesus claimed. He became God with us. They were the last people who would believe it, and yet, here is a miracle. Many of them did. Many of them did. What would lead a first century Jewish person to believe that? The answer, if you're following, is many saw that Jesus' life matched his claim and believed. His life matched his claim. Now listen, don't you think these people who lived with Jesus for three years would have smelled out if he was a liar? Uh, he says this one thing, but I'm, like, he was a rabbi. His disciples walked with him every day, everywhere he went. They would have been able to see the real Jesus. Was he a liar? Was he crazy? No, they saw the evidence of his life. The evidence of his life showed that his claim was true, and so they believed, like doubting Thomas, they got on their knees and declared, my Lord and my God my Lord and my God, and they would eventually die for him and this conviction that he is God with us. Even Paul, as you know, the Jew of all Jews, would say, I could have picked any number of verses. Here's one from Colossians 2.9. For in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. How much? How much of God is in Jesus? A third? Half? All of the deity lives in bodily form. So here's the question. What conclusion have you come to about the claim this king makes? Christmas isn't just for sentimental value. It's a radical, it's a radical claim. God, God with us. You either accept his claim or you reject it. Second, if you're following, he is also God with us. He is God with us. This is one of the great English words, isn't it? With I'm with you. I want to do this with you. I couldn't have done that without you. Why is with such a great word? Well, if you're still falling on your notes there, because the word with is a word describing intimate relationship. With is a relationship word. Wouldn't you agree? I'm with you in this. Here's the second great truth about this king. He is with us. He is God with us in relationship with us. So many people today, I had this image of God when I was growing up. God sit, sitting aloof in heaven on his throne of glory, not with me. Kind of giving his laws and decrees uh, for us to follow, but man, he was holy other, right? And that's the mystery he is. He's God, and yet 
He's God with us. If you're following on your notes, our king has come in person to share our situation. I like this throne we have here for this series. All right, I thought about preaching from here this morning. I can demonstrate the wonder of Christmas in one simple act here. You know, so many people, this is their view of God. Do this. You people down there uh, on, uh, below the stage, you don't belong up here uh, with me. But the wonder of with is simply this. He got off the throne and he came down and he came to be with us. I came to be with you. I came to be with you. The Alpha and the Omega, the creator of the entire universe, stepped off of the throne, the glory of heaven. Read Philippians 2 sometime. All the glory that Jesus possessed, he left that. And he became God with us. If the claim of Christmas is he is God, the wonder of Christmas, may we never lose it, is that he is God with. He is God with. Once again, don't lose sight of how radical it is. Up until this time, if you read the Old Testament, do you know what it was like to be in the presence of God, to be with God? It was terrifying. God would come in fire. He would come in power in the whirlwind, in the tornado, right? It was a terrifying experience to be with God. In fact, when Moses asked to see the glory of God, you remember God's response to him in Exodus 33? I think this is great. Look at the screen. The Lord said, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you, Moses, and I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. But here's the kicker. You cannot see my face, for no one may see me and live. To be with God was a terrifying experience. But now, the wonder of Christmas is that our king came to be with us. I think if Moses were here this morning, he'd be jumping up and down and saying to us, do you realize what this means? Where's your joy? This should change the way you think about life. There's a king and it changes everything. He is God with. He is God with. And as God with, it means we can come to him. He is not unapproachable on his throne, issuing dictates to us as his people. He left the throne and now we can come to him and know he understands me. He shared in my situation. You, you've all experienced the difference between these things, right? Isn't it true when somebody has shared an experience with you, it's a lot easier for you to pour your heart out to them because you know they understand? Some of you have battled cancer. I, I am battling a kidney disease right now, and i got to tell you. Okay, listen. It's one thing for somebody to show me sympathy, it's, it's nice to be shown sympathy, but it's totally different to be shown empathy by someone who's actually gone through what I've gone through. I know they actually understand my situation. If you've gone through some sort of health crisis, you know what I'm talking about. The difference between sympathy and empathy. Don't think God is just sympathetic of us, that he's up there going, oh, you poor human beings, all your pain, all your suffering. No, remember? He entered into it. He is empathetic of our pain, of our suffering, of our life, of what it means to be human. He is God with 
us if you're following there on your notes. He actually came down and plunged himself into it. If you're following, sorry, this king can empathize with our pain and suffering. This is why one of my least favorite Christmas songs, at least one of the lines in it, okay, I don't want to be Scrooge for any of you this morning, is Away in a Manger. The little Lord Jesus, no crying he makes. Really? What, what do we do to Jesus when we sing something like that? We, we, we act like he didn't have feelings or he, he didn't experience pain or sorrow or frustration or temptation. No, no, no. He is God with. Friends, when Jesus got angry, he got angry. He was completely human. When he didn't eat, guess what happened to him? He got hungry. When he got cut, he bled. When his friend died, he wept. He is God with us. It reminds me of the great story of Father Damien who would serve a leper colony on one of the Hawaiian islands many, many years ago. And he, people would go and serve at this colony, but they would keep their distance from the lepers, right? They would serve, uh, but keep their distance. But Father Damien was different. He entered into their situation. He began to eat at the same tables they ate at. He shared the same food that they were eating. He ate from the same bowls. He would wash their feet. He would take care of them. He entered into their situation. And one Sunday morning, he stood up to deliver the sermon, instead of saying, you lepers, he began by saying, we lepers. He had become one of them. He had experienced what they had experienced, and our king has stepped down from the glory of heaven, and he does not declare, you lepers. He declares, we lepers. That's why, as we learn in Hebrews, in our series in Hebrews, we have a high priest, friends. We have a high priest in Jesus who is an un, not unable to empathize with our weaknesses. But we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet did not sin. And the wonder of Christmas is, let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Third, if you're following, he is God with us. I thought about this this morning. If God is the claim of Christmas and with is the wonder of Christmas, us is the invitation of Christmas. It's the invitation of Christmas. Now, this word us is a limited term. Some people don't like this word because it's an exclusive term. Emmanuel doesn't mean God with all. It just doesn't. It means God with us. So, of course, I want to know who's the us. Is it some super exclusive moral group of people who have earned their way to heaven? Because I'm not an us at that point. No. We saw last week in the genealogy, his kingdom is open to failures and outsiders. So who is the us? Well, if you're following on your notes, the us is all who personally receive him as king. That's the us. He gives us an invitation to either reject him or accept him. And those whom accept him become us. God with us. Now there's a problem for me in this point though because I, in myself, I have no claim to approach this God who is king. 
I am dressed in filthy rags. And I have no right to approach a God who is dressed in robes of righteousness, a holy God. The word for this is I'm a sinner. I am. And he is a holy God. And as a sinner, I have no ability in my own power, in my own self, to approach the throne of a holy God. And yet here's the good news of Christmas. Christmas, our our God is not afraid of my rags, of my filth. He won't let my sin problem get in the way of an invitation to a personal relationship, which is what God has wanted from the very creation of the world. Unlike other kings, guess what? I don't even have to clean up my act to approach this God. That's what I tried for so long early on in my life, right? I knew I was dressed in filthy rags, but if I just rub a little here, if I read a Bible a little bit here, if I go to church a little bit more here, if I give a little bit more money, I'm, what happens to filthy rags when you try to wash them? You can kind of make them a little bit cleaner, but the stains are still there. And I knew the stains were still there in my life. No matter how hard I tried to clean myself up, I could not approach the throne of this holy God. There was a darkness inside of me. No effort could clean it off. What I needed was someone to clean it for me. And that's exactly why our king came. I said we were going to talk about who he is. We're also going to talk about why he came. The angel makes this very clear in his announcement to Joseph. Let's read verse 21 out loud on her notes. It says, Mary will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save people from their sins. That's the mission of the king. It's who he is. He's God with us. Why did he come? To rescue his people from sin. If you're following on your notes there, God came to be with us so we can be with God. Think about the way the stage is set up. I I was in here praying yesterday. I was just looking at that. Who is God? Who, Who is our king? He is God with us. He deserves the throne. When we sing praises to him this morning, he deserves it. And yet, he knew when he came to be with us, his mission was to step upon that cross. I mean, I just love this picture for us here this morning. He is Emmanuel. That's who he is. Why did he come? To rescue us. To rescue us from what we couldn't rescue ourselves. Every other religion understands, says, here's how you get to God. Christianity says, God came to get you. If you're following, Jesus came to rescue us from our sin. He left the throne for the cross. That's why I titled this message A Different Kind of King. The name Jesus is the Hebrew word Yeshua or Joshua. It means the Lord saves. The angel's words to Joseph must have thought, he must have thought, this is a different, this is a different kind of king. A king who's not going to ask me to save his kingdom, but a king who is actually going to come and save me so I can be a part of his kingdom. Two chapters after Isaiah had prophesied about the coming of Emmanuel, we read in Isaiah 9 2 uh, the, the, the reason this king came. Let's, let's read it out loud on our notes there. It says, The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. 
On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. Why did he come? Because he saw us walking in darkness. Now, maybe you're here this morning and you haven't gotten to that point. I don't think I'm walking in darkness. I think I'm doing pretty good, actually. Compared to him, compared to her, I'm doing all right. Well, how about compared to a holy, perfect God? I'm walking in darkness. I'm dressed in filthy rags. And the idea behind Christmas is God didn't send us an idea. He didn't send us an educational system. He didn't even send us a religion. Praise be to God. He sent himself. And this God walked in our darkness and one day declared, I am the light of the world. Whoever believes in me will no longer have to walk in darkness, but can walk in light. And the good news of Christmas is you're invited. You're invited from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. And some of you are thinking, I know it. No way, no way, no way. There's too much darkness inside of me. I'm hiding too much. There are addictions. There are things people don't know about me. If God really knew this or that about me, listen, God says, that's why exactly I came. I want you to live in the light. To live in the light, though, you have to acknowledge the darkness. You have to acknowledge the filthy rags, and no matter how hard you've tried, you can't clean it up. You have to come to my throne, kneel before my feet, and declare, I surrender all. Be the king of my life. I accept your invitation to a personal relationship. I repent of going my own way, of placing my own life upon this throne so often, I let you take charge of that now. And you know what he does at that moment? He takes off our filthy rags and dresses us in robes of righteousness for all eternity. This is called the good news of the gospel of grace. It's the gospel of grace. And you know what a decision like that takes? takes courage. I think of this story. I love this story. I told you I've preached from it from three different ways. One of the ways I did that was from Joseph's perspective, and we didn't even spend time looking at Joseph this morning. But think about the courage it took for Joseph to receive Jesus as king. If you're following on your notes here, receiving the king takes courage and faith. Just think about Joseph's experience. Mary is pregnant, and he knows she ain't pregnant from him. And he, being a godly man, decides, you know what? I'm going to do the quiet breakup here. I'm not going to make a public disgrace of Mary. I'll just divorce her quietly. That's that. But then one day, just as any time we confront Jesus, we're confronted with the real Jesus, a crisis comes into Joseph's life. An angel shows up and says, I want you to marry her. Because she's pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Now understand If Joseph marries her, everybody in this very, 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 very small town is going to know that seven months from now, when Mary gives birth to a son, it will mean one of two things. Either they had sex before they were married, or Mary was unfaithful to Joseph. Either way, they're going to be shamed in this society. They're going to be rejected. They're going to be second-class citizens forever. So listen, when the angel says to Joseph, you need to marry her, What does it take? Chutzpah. It takes courage 
to take her as his wife. But here's the kicker. He realizes if I want King Jesus to take the throne in my life, it is going to take faith and it is going to take courage. It may even mean I have to kiss my stellar reputation in this town goodbye. That I am willing to be an outcast to others so that I can have God with us. And it's the same for us today, friends. If you're following, if you really want Jesus as king, you must obey him unconditionally. You've got to give up complete control of your life. It's no different than it was for Joseph than it is for each of us in this room. Following Christ takes courage, right? I was just talking with some friends yesterday about how ridiculous the Christmas story is. It takes courage and faith to preach. Yeah, she's conceived by the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this baby in total obscurity and poverty and humility, he's God with us. It takes some courage to believe that today. And here's what I do so often in my life and this whole unconditional thing, that's the part where I really start to rub against, right? That's where the courage really comes in. It's like, I like to say, yeah, I'll let you be the king if. I'm sure Joseph was thinking that. Well, I'll do this if. But as soon as I put an if clause in there, guess what I've done? I've sort of elbowed Jesus off the throne and said, I'll take it from here. I might let you be my advisor every once in a while. I'll I'll take your advice on this or that, as long as it doesn't infringe on what I think is right here, but making him king means unconditional obedience. If you want Emmanuel, God with you, you have to give him everything, and that takes courage. The courage starts by acknowledging your sin, bringing it to him, but it takes everyday courage for us, doesn't it? I wake up every day, and I want my place back on that throne. That is the ultimate sin, the sin of pride, the sin that says that's where I belong. So every day it takes courage and faith for me to say, Jesus, I surrender to you. Have the place that you belong. I make you my king. So as we close this morning, I'll close with this question. Like Joseph, will I receive Jesus as king of my life unconditionally? If you're sitting here this morning and you're asking yourself, how am I going to have the courage to do that? I'll tell you how. Look at Jesus himself. You see, if you think it takes courage for you to give your life to him, remember this Christmas, it took infinitely more courage for the God of the universe to step off of his throne and step onto that cross and give his life for you. Let's pray. Lord, I believe there are any number of responses going on in the hearts of your people right now in this room. I am sure there are people who think that because they prayed a prayer one day, they have you as king. And yet, if they would really examine their lives, they would see that uh, they have really been the king. They have not unconditionally surrendered themselves to you. So today, God, I pray in this time of quiet, in this time of reflection, for those of us who recognize there are areas that we are not allowing you unconditional kingship, let us take time to confess that.
to bring that to you, to acknowledge that we still sometimes put on filthy rags. And let us let you dress us once again in robes of righteousness. And for the person in this room this morning who you are speaking to directly, who has never made a decision to let you be the king, I pray that you would encourage them this Christmas at just how amazing of an invitation this really is. You are God. You are with. And you are us. And I pray that they could approach your throne this morning, even now in this time of quiet. Surrender their lives and receive from you the forgiveness of sin, life everlasting, the hope of Christmas. So friends, here's your invitation right now as we sit in the stillness of this room. If you need to physically make any sort of response, we have these steps open. If you want to bow before the throne of Jesus Christ, we always have that available to you. If you just want to do that in your heart, if you want to let him just kind of clean you up, if you want to recognize you have not let him be king in this area or that area, this is a time for us. This is a time for us to renew ourselves in the promise that he is God with us. Let's do that.